Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Spark in Television Tuesday. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjour, and what's up? Hope you guys are doing good during this wonderful time that is 2021, a new year, a new start, and hopefully things work better than last year. But I don't want to jinx it, so knock on glass. But I think I'm digressing a little bit too much. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Like I said, Spirekin is some podcast and vain reviews about connectively enhanced narratives. What does that mean? Well, every episode I talk about one or two geeky topics and tell you the pros and cons about it. Since we talk about television shows, I tell you about how the acting is, the overarching plot, the characters, and most importantly, if it's worth investing your time in or not. You can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.spirekin.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes and various other social media sites, just type in S-P-I-R-A-K-N. I guarantee you find us one way or the other. And if you want to recommend some TV shows for us to watch, you can email me personally at Zan, that's X-A-N, at Spirekin.com, or tweet me at Spirekin on Twitter, or join our Discord at tinyurl.com forward slash Spiradiscord. That's S-P-I-R-A-D-I-S-C-O-R-D, and that'll take you right into our new and wonderful discord where we have lots of conversation about all of our different shows from our manga review our motion picture review our book review our game review and just if you want to just bullshit with us in general so with that in mind let's get to it because this was a very monumentous week because we had two novel adaptations coming out so two tv series based on novels one of them we've been talking about for the last two episodes and the other one is one that i've been anticipating and dreading at the same time so let's get to it so we're starting off with that awesome adaptation for one of Stephen King's most acclaimed works. Yes, I'm talking about The Stand 2020, which you can watch on CBS All Access if you have the account. But since some of you don't, what I recommend doing is getting an account for free and then transferring it over time or waiting until all this is done. But if you're watching it, I've got to say it's been a trip. Um, the third episode, known as Blank Pages, was directed by... Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage Cole. And I've got to say, this episode was a one that introduced two of my favorite characters in the entire Stand universe. And I loved how they were introduced, even though they did dumb down one of them, pun not intended. But it also focused on one of the side characters that re it felt like it was pushing too much. Now, uh, long story short, as with the other two episodes of this series... This has been very disjointed. Its narrative is all over the place. The fact that it's starting in the middle of the book and then keeps flashing back, while creative, is kind of ruining the narrative for me. I think they should have went with a linear path and it would have made a little more sense. But that's my thought. Some people enjoyed a little bit more. I gotta say, Greta really actually did enjoy this episode because this episode is horror light. There's not a lot of horror going on, just a sequence going on early on. And actually, let me tell you the plot of this episode. So... In the present, uh, you have a stranger showing up to the Boulder Free Zone in a Lamborghini with plates from Las Vegas, and he has marks on his wrists and his, and he brings a message from the Dark Man of Las Vegas. Meanwhile, going in the past, we get the backstories for Nadine Cross, school teacher, and maybe something more, and of course Nick Andros, the voice of Mother Abigail. And it's funny because he's the voice of Mother Abigail, yet he is deaf and mute. And there's been a lot of controversy with the casting of Nick because the actor they picked for him is not deaf or mute. The actor playing Nick is Henry Zaga. 
And I've got to say, he does an excellent job with the character. He's doing some amazing things. And more importantly than that, he is emoting a lot. Because a lot of people were complaining that, oh, Nick's supposed to be deaf and mute. We need a deaf mute character. However, in the dreamscape, Nick does speak. He has a voice. And it's kind of important to convey that. And it wouldn't be good if you voiced it over or had someone else dub it. So it works that you have an actor who did this who studied sign language for this role and does a great job explaining what's going on. Now, as usual, we have all our spoilers after the end credits, so I'll go more into my feelings for this episode. But overall, this was a good middle-of-the-ground episode where it does set up a lot. Now, while the stuff with Nadine is kind of frustrating, there is some great character development with Nick and one other character that's introduced uh glenn bateman who's played by greg kinnear and i got a lot to say about that so this one is still definitely uh worth watching now worth getting and totally a great investment at this point so now let's get to the other one the show which so many people have waited for the adaptation of one of the biggest concepts in the terry pratchett disc world i'm talking about the Ankh-Morpork city watch and the tv show is known as the watch um, it was written by Simon Allen, and the producer is jo- Johan Noble. And what do I have to say about this show? Wow, they kind of fucking dropped the ball with this show totally. Now, for those of you who are unaware, Discworld is a 41 novel series written by Terry Pratchett, which takes a unique concept with fantasy. It takes basic fantasy elements, and then incorporates modern sensibility and some modern technology in weird, unique ways. For example, one of my favorite books, um, Going Postal, is about the revitalization of the post office, and it shows how stamps are created, and also it explains things like how the clacks work, how they communicate long distances. It's Morse code, but it's very weird and different as opposed to Morse code. Another thing is the Unseen University, a group of insane wizards who do weird things crazy concept and then you have the watch who are the city essentially police however in the main city of Discworld, world more pork crime is legal i know crazy but hear me out so in Ankh-Morpork, if you're part of a guild if you do whatever that guild is if you're part of the thieving guild or the assassins guild if you have a receipt they can't arrest you so the city watch kind of does nothing until the lord of the city, Lord Vetinari, has them do jobs for them, or they take care of other business as well. So they're a unique group, and in the books, they're known for a lot of things. Now, the most popular character in the City Watch is uh, Captain Sam Vimes, a character who is one part Inspector Morse, one part film noir-esque grizzled detective, and one part alcoholic. A very no-nonsense, funny, but and he does drink, but he's very on the point. And then you have his assistant, who is Constable Carrot. Now, Carrot is a human who was adopted by dwarves, and he's gigantic. He's very honest, his heart is in the right place, and he may have more, uh, more than he, what he seems to be. And there's a bunch of other characters that are introduced in the book series. Now, what they've done is they've taken these characters and rearranged them and mixed them into a fantasy punk rock style. First thing they've done is uh, they have Sam Vimes, played by Richard Dormer, playing as a complete and utter alcoholic. And he is drunk for half of the first episode. 
and he's also technically dead for half the episode because it's all a recap and death is played wonderfully by Wendell Pierce. But so what they've done is they've taken Terry Pratchett and they made it a kind of CSI Pratchett-esque world where it's very punk rock and dystopian. It feels more like Shadowrun than it feels like Discworld. Uh, they do keep a couple things like there's security cameras all throughout the city, but security cameras are filled with imps who are painting every scene. So it's they're they're drawing. But then when you see them investigating these and stealing the paintings, the paintings are on an iPad. So it kind of ruins the moment of what's going on. Uh, other things they've done is one of the characters is a dwarf. And the whole thing is that Carrot's story arc is that he was kicked out of his family because he's too big to be a dwarf. Because he's a human that's six foot three. He's a big one and dwarves don't like that. And most dwarves are short. Now, one other thing, most dwar- all dwarves are, they look the same, male or female. And one of the characters that joins the watch in the book series is Officer Cherry, who is who identifies as female. And so Cherry still has a beard, but identifies as a girl. No problem, as a dwarf. So what they've done is they've hired um actress uh, who is, uh, identifies as, I think, female or they. I'm not entirely sure, but it's, uh, is it? Uh, Joe Eaton Kent, who does, who is, identifies as female, dresses the part, and makes sense that this is someone who identifies as female, but may have been born male, we don't know, and it kind of works. However, Joe is six foot also, so the fact that he got kicked out because he's a dwarf, and he's too tall for Carrot, and then Cherry's also six foot tall, but Cherry left for other reasons, it doesn't really work. Not at all. So that's rough. Um, other castings, you have uh, Marama Corlette as Corporal Angua, who is a werewolf. And they cast her perfectly. She's done well. You have uh, Ralph Ines doing the voice and mocap for Officer Detritus, who is a major character in the novels. But what they do is kind of fucked up because they merge him with three other characters for this series. And so anyway, so they released two episodes for the first uh, week. And those, those were released. And we had the first episode, A Near Vimes Experience, directed by Craig Viveros. And then the second episode, Ook, by Craig Viveros. Also, fun fact, if you look at our website, the picture I put for Ook is not what you think. It's not a statement, I swear. It's just... Uh, that was the best that was a cool scene from the second episode so i had to use it so yeah anyway uh so episode one dealing with vimes reliving what had happened episode two dealing with the unseen academy and dealing with the librarian who if you're not familiar with Discworld, the librarian you accidentally turned himself into an orangutan and that's all he says is ook they have to actually use the magic to translate and it's kind of crazy how it works it's a really insane series i gotta say um first episode really rough second episode fixes things a little bit but i'm not sure i'm really not sure i don't know if i'm gonna continue watching this i'll give it the four episode try but some of the aesthetics i'm not digging uh the design work is rough and some things i'm really just questioning why they would do but that's my thoughts about it um so as usual uh i think that's it 
Next week, we're going to be talking about these two shows, plus we're going to be talking about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist Season 2, Episode 1. We're going to talk about The Masked Dancer. I think that there is a new season of Name That Tune. We might put it in here just as a kind of let's throw some TV show things going on for Name That Tune, for The Hustle or Hustler, whatever it's called. And if you have any recommendations for TV shows we're watching, let us know. Email me, uh, zanspiker.com. And I think that's it for the non-spoilery part. So if you have not watched these shows, you're done here. And if you have watched the shows, stay tuned for After the Music. I'm your host, Zan. I'm Gonsville. Catch you guys next time and keep watching TV. See ya. time yes it's the section where we talk about spoilers and i've got to say i've got a lot of notes so let's start off with the watch and fuck what did they do to you my beloved watch okay just to go into this quickly originally this was supposed to be developed by the same people who did the two-part television adaptations of Discworld, who did going postal and hogfather which are really well done and then this was taken over and they changed it, apparently. BBC series uh, decided to make it into an eight-episode serial because it might be returnable. And um, the executive producers, Phil Collins, Hilary Simon, and Ed Himes, and a couple other people, didn't know what the fuck they were doing. I, th- I think that they thought that they were going to be woke and change things around and make it more more uh 
cool and punk and what the fuck. I mean, when Terry Pratchett's daughter said this shares no DNA with her father's work, I thought, eh, maybe she's just being really antagonistic. And maybe she just is hating because it's not the same as her father's work. Then I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, this is a little weird, but it might still be good. Then I watched the episodes and what the fuck? Really, what the fuck? Um, let's start off with the first thing. Uh, you have the introduction of Sam Vines and he is arguing with a dog that pisses on his leg. Then he says, I'm going to piss on, your, on you. That's not the Sam Vines I know. I mean, he has done that. But the Sam Vines I know is kind of a hard-nosed, film noir, serious, always sharp, even when he's drunk, character. This character is a blithering idiot. And while I do like the concept of that he was he joined the Night Watch in order to assassinate the captain and then he was going to free all his friends and then he changed his mind. That's a really cool backstory. It just it felt really weird how they did it and it feels really fucking strange. First thing. Next thing. Let's talk about Lord Vetinari, one of the most prominent characters in Terry Pratchett. Um, the fact is when you first see the sign for Lord Vetinari, there's posters of Lord Vetinari, and it's the design that Terry Pratchett said for Lord Vetinari. A thin, gaunt man with a thin mustache. And then it goes to Anna Chancellor as Lord Vetinari, who, on the one hand, she has that personality down pat. That is Lord Vetinari, that whole telling you the truth but not telling you everything and kind of manipulating you to do what Lord Vetinari wants. That is awesome. You didn't need to change the character. I don't think you did. They did it for some reason. And I, the fact that they say, on oh, a secondhand uh, set of dimensions, you could have done your own thing at this point. I don't fucking know. Um, now let's get to um, who else was there. Um, well, a lot of the other characters, they change for reasons. This, that. You have um, Laura Rossi playing Lady Sybil Ramkid, who eventually becomes Lady Sybil Vimes. Uh, spoilers for the book series, and she comes off as a vigilante, and it kind of fits, but it disservices the character. Uh, goblins are completely different. They speak a nonsense language that no one understands, and they look like people with tin hats on. It's like they didn't even go for, like, I get it. They want to go something different than Lord of the Rings goblins or or Muppet goblins, but they could have done something else instead of looking like trash people. Uh, they take one of the biggest villains in the Discworld, who is, what is his name? Uh, Carcer Dunn, played by Sam Edewume. And they turn him into just a character who shows up and is mysterious. Is he threatening? No, he's mysterious. And his reasons? Meh. Two episodes. Two episodes of this and, no, just. And so they switch the thing so they have. Constable Carrot, as who is introduced to the night in the first Night Watch book, uh, guards guards, and they make him into the point of view character. That's fine, but then they take characters who are introduced later, who are his juniors, and make them the main characters. Which that would be kind of cool if they did that. If they had them all already part of it, and they just put a new character in, or there are tons of characters they could have thrown in as the point of view character. I mean, I get Carrot. Carrot is the most charismatic, but. I don't know. I just, I don't fucking know. I, I'm like, 
So besides the casting, the world, some elements are really cool about it. They kept a lot of it. They mentioned the clacks. They mentioned a lot of little things. You see the mended drum. But the problem is the mended drum doesn't look like the mended drum. The mended drum looks like your average techno bar. There's neon and there's graffiti and there's... That's not the mended drum. This is steampunk uh, fantasy. And while steampunk fantasy can be really cool, that's not Discworld. And I'm not trying to be like, this is not my... I'm willing to give it a good try if it was well done. The first episode is really rough to get through. Uh, Carrot comes across as unlikable. Uh, With the exception of Angua and Dietrich, the other characters are shades of themselves and just... The world's not designed well. Episode 2, the first thing they do is they take a character who is one of the most popular characters in the series and they kill them off. Why? Shock value! They took the, the death of two other minor characters and they said, you know what? We're not going to introduce them. We're going to introduce this character and then we're going to kill him off instead. Why? Introduce those two characters and kill them off. It makes more fucking sense than taking a beloved character and then killing him off. After that, then it gets kind of interesting because you get the Unseen University. And I got to admit, the Unseen University is done well. I like how they did it and they explain it. That part is cool. But part of me wants to give this a have it on the background while doing other stuff. Another part of me says... uh, Cancel your subscription service on this. It's, I'm going to say, because I'm going to be optimistic and because there are some elements that are okay, this is a have it on in the background while doing something else because there are some elements that are good so far. The overall mystery, I don't know. I'll give it two more episodes. And if it's not good, then fuck this series. But I'll give it two, ep- I'll give it my customary three to four episode. Okay? So that is. The Watch. Uh, Now let's get to The Stand, episode three, blank page. And wow. First off, this episode, like I said, deals with Nadine, Glenn, and Nick. And what they do is they change a lot of elements. Like, but it in the present, what's going on is, well, it starts off in the past where Nadine gets her message from her, from Randall Flagg all the way back in the past where he tells her through a Ouija board that she will be his queen in the house of the dead. So she is destined to be his queen. And because of that, this leads her to become the spy of him in the Boulder free zone. You have the introduction of the stranger who has been crucified and his message to the town, specifically mother Abigail and her, uh, council of five advisors who are finally introduced in the book it was seven in the original miniseries was seven but they brought it to five to stream things out no problem then we're introduced to glenn uh because well first we're introduced to Stu meeting franny and harold and we see how that goes and Stu decides to introduce himself to harold while he's peeing i get that it's like oh he's not thinking but that's kind of a Time when you don't talk to someone else when they're peeing, you wait till they're done. But in the movie, he's like, "Hey, buddy!" It's like, "What the fuck?" It comes across very weird, and this leads to the beginning of an antagonistic relationship between Stu and Harold. There's other reasons why they hate each other, why Harold hates Stu because of his whole Franny obsession. But hopefully, we get to that in future episodes. 
But they end up splitting apart. They don't stay together. Then he runs into Glenn, who they made Glenn into a major, like he's, the best way to describe Glenn in this first episode is his character from You've Got Mail. The Greg Kinnear's character from You've Got Mail. Kind of self-absorbed, very intelligent, very wise, but he's kind of got a fuck it attitude at this point. Loves to hear himself talk, and he is pretty cool. I love the fact that he tells Stu, hey, you like caviar? He's like, cava what? You'll love it. Hey, put on chips. You know my wife? She hated chips. Who doesn't love chips? Also, you get introduced to his dog, Kojak, who was a major part of the story. That is a fun element. It sets up that father-son dynamic between Glenn and Stu. And then we get introduced to Nick, and I've got to say, Nick is my favorite character from The Stand, and I'm glad they did him justice. Uh, They open up with him in the bar getting into a fight with someone accidentally because he can't hear. They do change some of the elements because in the book, he gets beaten up and mugged. Then he spends a couple of weeks in the town while everything goes to hell. And then after almost everyone's dead, the person who beat him up originally shows up and then gouges out his eye. In this one, it's just he gets curb stomped and beaten and that kills his eye. And then he wakes up 28 days later style after the event occurs. And But something I do like is that while he's unconscious, they have him meeting Randall Flagg, the dark man. And it's cool because he shows up. He's like, hey, Nick, how you doing? And he's got a card table and he's like, you know, you got a shit hand, but if you become my right-hand man, I'll give you the ability to hear and speak again. All you got to do is worship me. And Nick, first off, says he has his own voice, and he flips him off. And Randall was even like, and you know, I can even fix that eye for you because a man who's deaf and mute, his eyes are his whole world. And Nick signs, what the hell are you talking about with my eye? And he's like, you'll find out. And that's when he wakes up in the hospital and his eye is missing. It sucks because Nick is such a good character. And see, finding out his eye is gone, is, you, you see the loss in his face. And when we do the next episode uh, with Greta, I'll have Greta talk about her feelings about that whole sequence with Nick. And how important he is to the show. Because Nick is an important character in this show. How it works out. Because after... Uh, he wakes up. He doesn't hear anything because he, he can't hear. He's in the hospital, and so, he sees something that catches his eye, and it's the guy that beat him up, handcuffed to a bed, and he has Captain Trips. He's got that thick neck. He has mucus, and he's he's like, oh, thank God someone's here. Oh, it's you. You you come to finish me off, didn't you? Well, do it, you, you dummy. Do it. And Nick walks away, and he's cursing him out, and Nick comes back with a rag and a bowl of water and nick proceeds to to the guy who ripped essentially ripped out his eye halved his world nick is cleaning him up and it shows that kind of why flag wants him and why mother abigail wants him as their voice he's a genuinely good a person who's got a good heart and you see him cleaning him up and then later on, it gets to him having a dream and meets Mother Abigail. And the sequence with him and Mother Abigail is funny because he tries to sign and she's like, you don't have to sign. Meaning she doesn't know how to sign. You can talk here. And you met the dark man, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 I did. It's like, well, listen, I want you to be my voice. And he's like, well, 
well, wh- why? And he's like, because no, God doesn't, no one wants to hear what I say. He's like, well, I think in the future, people are going to want to hear what you say. And he's like, well, I don't believe in God. And he's like, well, God, don't worry about it. God believes in you. And if you need to find me, you find me at Hemingway Home in Colorado. And that's spelled Hemingway Home, M-O-O-N. When she says that, he wakes up in the hospital, and in front of him is a revitalized, changed, and unique version of Tom Collins. One of the most, the sweetest characters Stephen King has ever made. Similar to, um, I forgot, uh, Michael Clark Duncan's character in The Green Mile. Uh, I'll remember it. John Coffey. He's very similar to John Coffey with his just so nice and sweet. And I like that they've updated him because Tom Collins is Nick's best friend in the book he's also mentally challenged and it's them together the thing is tom colin can't read he can't write uh and he spells everything m-o-o-n like m-o-o-n that spells ouch m-o-o-n that spells good times m-o-o-n that spells full and that's what he does he says these things to talk and when you meet him he's like oh laws you okay mister your eyes hurt he's like and then he just says oh let me introduce my, your head must be spinning. Let me introduce myself. He centers himself and says, hi, my name is Tom Collins. I am 41 years old and developmentally delayed, but that does not mean that I'm unable to work. I am a strong worker. I'm good worth ethic. And he's talking and Nick's trying to say, I can't, uh, I can't hear you. Listen, I'm, I, I can't hear. And he just keeps going on. He's like, stops like, oh, I know it's a lot to listen to. Hold on. Hi, my name is, is Tom Collins. Goes back to it. And it's funny seeing him do that. But he's such a genuine character. And at first Nick is confused as to why he's there. But then they become... Then he says that Mother Abigail sent him. He's like, the nice black lady in my head sent me to sent you to me. When he realizes that Nick is deaf. And they end up talking by pantomiming. And it's, a, it's the beginning of a great relationship between them. Because they're such good friends. And that dynamic is important for the story to work their dynamic and i like that they did something really good with it now going into the present uh the new sequence with the stranger is really well done because one the fact he was crucified is really creepy and seeing him his eyes go black and then he talks as randall flag threatening them saying that he's coming is kind of unsettling and setting things in motion we have to wait to see what happens also i do like the fact that before Mother Abigail sees the stranger, they're all arguing on what to do. Should we talk to him? Should we not? And Nick is talking. He's like, I got to talk to Mother Abigail. And then Mother Abigail says, what did I tell you, Glenn? I told you, if you need to talk to me, Mr. Bateman, talk to Nick. Nick is my voice. Whatever he says, that is if it was coming from me. <laughs> it's, it's got a, it's, it was a really good episode. And it ends where you have the truth about Nadine where Nadine is told by Randall Flagg that she has to seduce Harold and then kill the witch and her five puppets. And they've kind of shortchanged the relationship between her and Larry, where it's like she's in love with Larry, even though it's so self-destructive. They've really cut that out. I am curious if in the next two episodes, the next episode is House of the Dead, and then you have Suspicious Minds. I'm curious if they're going to work on that or not, or what's going to happen. I'm kind of excited to see where they go I'm also a little worried but so far the show has been really good uh 
this episode helped Greta change her mind on this show. It really did because it's a it shows how powerful the show is with these characters. Also, there's a little bit about everyone's favorite creeper, Harold. Not too much, but it's setting things in the future. So, if you watched The Stand, Episode 3, what did you think? Let me know. Email me, zanspirekin.com, or comment on the podcast. Last thing I should say is the random question of the day is going to be, what do you think about the watch versus the original Discworld watch? Did you like it? Do you think it's a travesty? Should it be watched? Let me know what you think. I'm your host, Zan. I'm Gonsville. I'll catch you guys next time, and keep watching TV. See ya!